tune in to the Family Industrial Complex podcast here on Revolution Radio, Studio B, every Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Get fit, empowered, physically, mentally, and spiritually. The Secret Kindergarten is here for the young children of the world. The best program on the radio for kids. Dealing with the most important topics in the whole universe. Fairy tales, music and movement, numbers, plants, animals, fun, colors, insects. Take care and cast your ears out to catch a story from the world of other young things. Reach out, up, under, and over. Sing a song. Talk about feelings. Just remember the magic word. The magic word is no. Step on into the secret kindergarten. Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Revolution Radio. We, we, we did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given right, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. All right, welcome to welcome to Free Association. Let me turn that down a little bit. All right, so it's 4 o'clock in the UK. It's 11 a.m. on the East Coast in the States. And you're listening to Free Association on Revolution Radio. My name's Dennis. I'm hosting for the next hour. And I was just frantically searching for a video that I want to play that seems to have gone missing from YouTube in the last couple of days. So John Campbell posted a video on Thursday, which I discovered this morning, about a a virus that... affects the brain that was generated in a laboratory and I couldn't find it I can't find it on YouTube 
but I did find it on BitChute. So I'm going to play the version that's available on BitChute. And uh, let me just share my screen. This is all a bit frantic. I've got some material from the highway to play as well. But this one's the one I wanted to start. Well, it doesn't matter which order I do them in, really. But uh, I did want to start with this one. Right, let's let's do this. is about twenty minutes, and the high wire I can I can skip a little bit and make it about twenty minutes as well. So I'll be about right for the show with twenty minutes of me. And uh, Revolution Radio. Before we start, Revolution Radio is uh, a listener-supported station. We've got two studios running roughly twenty-four hours a day. Studio A definitely runs. A good chunk of the day studio b not so much at the moment but it 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 goes up and down a bit there's plenty of space if you want if you want to start a show there's plenty of space on studio b and some space on studio a in some time slots so i'll have a word with the management see what uh what time slots are available that you can do talk about the show have a have a conversation and uh, get yourself involved for 2024. That's my suggestion. Uh, I did exactly that after a bit of prompting four years ago. Uh, started this show on the 10th of March, four years ago. And uh, I needed to be pushed a little bit to get it done so i'm i'm doing a little bit of pushing at the moment and encouraging people to to join in and be hosts because uh, i think sometimes a little bit of pushing is a good thing uh, it's 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 a commitment it is a commitment even one hour a week is a commitment uh i've now got three hours a week so it but it feels like more flow to me because it's a couple of days since i did the last show and uh, the material just showed up this morning, so I didn't even have to go looking or think about it too hard. It just showed up. This is John Campbell. Well, last week there was published some really concerning research from China. What the researchers did was they got a virus from a pangolin. That's these charming little creatures that are so abused throughout uh, Eastern Asia, particularly. They took a virus from the pangolin and they cultured it in cells in the laboratory. And they then infected mice with it and it killed all of the mice that it infected through brain infection. So they've generated this new virus that kills 100 percent of mice it's infected with. But it gets worse. Because the mice that were infected were humanized mice. Now, these are called transgenic mice. In other words, they were given some human genes and they were given human ACE receptor genes that were expressed by the mouse. So these are essentially human ACE receptors in genes. And it was a coronavirus from the pangolin and it killed 100 percent of the mice that were infected. And these are the things that they are jiggling around with in laboratories. This is absolute madness. And it needs to be banned uh, yesterday, as far as I'm concerned. The only reason I can see for doing this kind of research, the only reason I can see is as biological weapons. I really can't see anything else. So that sounds melodramatic. The researchers say it's because they're worried about spillover infection. But of course, they created the virus in the first place. 
in their cell lines in the laboratory. Um, so it's not a virus that's in nature to spill over into human populations. So we've got a situation where they created a virus or generated a virus. It's not that they synthesized it together. It just evolved in their cell cultures in the lab that killed 100 percent of the humanized mice brain virus, brain virus disease. Now, um, they don't say whether they've tested it on humans or not, but given that it was affecting human ACE2 receptors, I think the probability is it would cause viral brain death in the vast majority of human beings that it infected. This research, to me, is just an existential threat to humanity. It really has to be stopped because the record of labs leaking all over the place, you were just reminded of a sieve. Anyway, let's let's give you the details and you can um, make, make your own mind up. I'm not going to I've told you what I think. But uh, this is the paper here. It's a preprint lethal infection of human uh, ACE2 receptors in transgenic mice. So let's look at it in some detail now. So lethal infection. So it kills 100 percent of the mice that infects. But remember, these are humanized mice with human genes expressing human type ACE2 receptors, which, of course, is the receptor that the coronavirus binds into. But this is a different coronavirus, of course. Infecting a human ACE, uh, of, of transgenic mice, mice bred up with humans, which we can we can we can seriously question the ethics of this as well. What are the ethics of putting human genes into mice? I think that's an open question. Let, let me know what you think. I'm pretty uncomfortable. I can see why they do it. They're still mice, but they're expressing human proteins, human receptor sites. Let me know if you, how you feel about that. I feel somewhat uncomfortable about that, I must say. Um, so caused by a SARS uh, coronavirus 2 related. So it's not the SARS coronavirus 2. It's related. It's from these pangolins, these anteating type creatures that are so abused in Asian, Asia for their blood. Um, coronavirus, and this is the name of the virus, GX, underline P2V. Uh, not a very trendy name, but there you go. Published on the 4th of January. There's the links. Check it out for yourself. SARS coronavirus 2 related pangolin coronavirus, GX, we'll just call it GX from now on, shall we? Um, can cause 100% mortality in human ACE2 transgenic mice. Um, 100% is one more than 99. It meant it killed them all. A virus that went into the brain and caused death through viral brain disease. I'm very uncomfortable with this. Very, very uncomfortable with this. Potentially attributed to late stage brain infection. So brain infection. This is direct from the authors, of course. Brain infection is the problem. This underscores a spillover risk. Well, a spillover would be a natural spillover. So a spillover would be that the virus comes from the animal, spills over into humans and causes an infection. And, th and that's what these these uh, these scientists are worried about, according to what they've written in the paper. But they created the virus in the lab in the first place. <laughs> um, you might see a paradox there. So the, anyway, they're, they're worried about the risk of a spillover. Fair enough. Uh, and, and it provides a unique model for the understanding of the pathogenic mechanisms of SARS-CoV-2. In other words, it gives them a chance to study it. Why they would want to study this is slightly less clear. Right, the letter to the editor. Dear editor, two SARS-CoV-2 related pangolin coronavirus. So they found this one, but this one didn't do any harm. This one was fairly safe in the mice, but this one wasn't. 
were identified prior to the COVID-19 outbreak. Now, as you can see from this, this was discovered in 2017. So this is a while back and the paper was published on the 4th of January 2024. The relative isolates were cultured in 2020 and 2017. So they were culturing this in, back in 2017. Um, now, early, pass uh, early passage through the cells um, isolated was actually a cell culture adapted mutant. So in other words, in other words, what happened was that this mutant that caused 100 percent lethal brain disease developed, evolved, if you like, while they were passing it through various cell cultures to grow it in the lab. And then they thought, oh, hey, presto, we've got this 100 percent lethal virus. So that's how it came about. Um, the paper doesn't say they deliberately constructed it. They, they probably didn't deliberately construct it because it says in the paper that um, it was just uh, through passage through cell culture. But then they found this incredible virus that they wanted to study and they want to study further, which is even more concerning. Anyway, um, we assessed its pathogenicity of the humanized and the human ACE receptor to mice. So mice with human ACE receptors in them. We found that this GX cologne uh, can infect the mice. So it can infect the humanized mice. Therefore, it is immensely probable that it would infect humans very readily, uh, as far as I can as far as I can tell. Um, dealing with a dangerous virus, high viral loads detected in both the lungs and the brain tissue. Now, the fact that high viral loads were detected in the lungs means that the virus would have been breathed out. By the mice. It was also detected in the nose. So we're dealing with a virus here that kills the brain, kills the the, the organism through through brain damage, but grows in the mouth and the uh, the lungs, therefore can spread. So we're dealing with a transmissible respiratory transmissible, presumably droplet and aerosol transmissible virus that can kill the brain. This is what they're playing around with. Uh, the infection resulted in 100% mortality in these uh, humanized mice, 100% humanized mice. We surmise that the cause of death may be linked to the occurrence of late brain infection. So it's caused by brain infection, they believe. All the mice that were infected with the live virus succumbed to infection within seven to eight days post inoculation. It, it is quite possible. I, I, I'm not interested in scaremongering. It's just it is possible that a virus that is readily spread like sars coronavirus 2 could have a massively higher case fatality rate, infection fatality rate. That is quite possible and uh, quite frightening. It is certainly possible, especially if these viruses being selected specifically for that purpose. So if you were a military planner, you might think, oh, this is an interesting virus. It's spread through the air. We could just drop it off in country X from country B. And or wherever it was, and uh, yeah, we'll just kill everyone for us. Then we can just move in. All the buildings will be nice and empty. Um, you know, it's it's really quite it's really quite terrifying that the potential here. Um, all the mice that were infected died within seven to eight days, rendering 100% mortality. Now, five days post-infection, they got a decrease in body weight, so they're starting to sicken after five days. Relatively long incubation period for these viruses. Seven days post-infection, the hair started standing on end, pilo erection, hunch posture. That indicates to me something wrong with the nervous system. You've got this hunch posture. It's, it's a nervous system thing, I think. Sluggish movements also indicates nervous system involvement. Uh, eyes turn white. They don't, 
<coughs> they don't say why the eyes turn white. Uh, it doesn't sound very good. That's all we know. That's all it says in the paper. They infected uh, eight mice, eight with humanized uh, H2 receptors. Eight mice inoculated with inactivated virus, eight mice mock infected. So it was a good, reasonably conducted study. Small numbers, of course, but still 100% of these ones died. Every single one of them. Right. Some, so they dissected some mice after three days and after six days. They did a quantitative analysis of the viral RNA and the amount of the T. To, 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 the, the, that's basically the quantitative amount of the virus in the tissues. Significant amount of RNA viruses in, in the brain, of course, because it kills the brain, the lungs, so they could breathe it out, turbinate in the nose, eyes, so it could be in the tears, and trachea, so it could be breathed out as well. This just screams out to me uh, respiratory uh, infective virus. That's why this is particularly frightening. It could so easily get out of the lab because we know it's happened before. Um, no or low amounts of viral RNA, so it didn't seem to affect the heart so much, the liver, the spleen, the kidneys, the tongue, the stomach and the intestines didn't seem to be uh, particularly infected. Now the lung samples. High viral RNA load after three to six days, so on days three and day six. So that means that these people would be or these mice would be infected for at least three days. So um, bad symptoms developed on day five, but day three and day four, they could be feeling reasonably OK and, and infect uh, others. Um, sort of pre-symptomatic, uh, pre-symptomatic spread. Day five, they'd start feeling ill, but they'd still be infectious on day six. It's, can, you, can you see this kind of a bad combination that this virus has happened to crop up? Viral antigens also detected. In other words, they're able to detect the virus itself and the viral RNA. And these two were consistent. So uh, there was the viral RNA and the virus proteins themselves. I think it was the nucleocapsid protein they tested for. So pretty certain that the virus is in these tissues. Uh, viral load in the lungs decreased significantly after day six. So it looks like they're infected from day three to day six. Lungs showed minimal information. So they weren't dying of lung disease. The lungs were showing minimal information, but the virus was present in large amounts in the lungs, so they could breathe it out. But the virus was present in higher amounts in the brain, and it was the brain that it was damaging, killing the mice, and presumably would do the same if it infected a human, given that it was a humanized ACE receptor that it was in the mouse. And of course, we have human. Obviously, we have human ACE receptors because we're humans. Right, brain sample. Um, day three post-infection viral RNA was detected in all infected mice in the brain. This is going to the brain, unlike SARS coronavirus 2. This is a brain disease. Shrunken neurons visible in the cerebral cortex on microscopy. That's the outside part of the brain, of course. The cortex is the outside of an organ. Um, viral antigens also detected. So again, detecting the RNA, detecting the nucleocapsid protein as well. So the virus definitely in the brain. Day six post-infection, exceptionally high levels of RNA. So this, this is very large amounts, actually. It's log scale. Uh, huge amounts of RNA virus in the brain um, in all infected mice focal lymphocyte inflammation around the blood vessels lymphocytes of course are the classic cell that combats viral infection so again highly uh, well proves basically the viral infection in the brain because of this uh, lymphocyte infiltration severe brain infection during later stages of infection may be the key cause of death in the mice they say to the best of our knowledge this is the first report showing sars coronavirus 2 related pangolin coronavirus causes 100 percent mortality in humanized mice well it could have been done somewhere else 
Uh, if it has so far, it hasn't leaked. Let's hope they can keep it contained and uh, preferably eliminate this risk. Now, um, the authors go on to say, uh, suggesting a risk of uh, this GP virus from the pangolins spill over into humans. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because this virus was created in your lab. How can a virus that's not in the natural environment, but is in a lab, spill over from the natural environment to the human population when it's not in the natural environment? I don't see how spillover infection is possible. I see that a lab leak is possible. Don't see that spillover infection is impossible. So I'm sorry, I'm not buying that one. I'm not buying this philanthropic, oh, we're doing this for the potential future good of humanity. Don't buy it. Might be true, but I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it at all. Propensity for coronavirus to undergo adaptive mutation during passage uh, passage culture. So what they do, they, they infect various cells here because, of course, viruses can only grow in the in cells. So what they're saying is that these coronaviruses have the innate potential to mutate and evolve, in this case, into something deadly, 100 percent deadly, when they're faffing around with it in the lab, growing it in cell cultures. So there is a predisposition of coronaviruses of this type to become to mutate during their their culturing in the lab to grow them up so they can analyze them. Now, of course, most mutations will just turn it into something irrelevant and the mutation will simply die out. But of course, if it's a mutation that has an adaptive advantage, that will infect more cells in their cell culture and that will become the predominant um, virus strain, just as it did, just as Omicron overtook from uh, Delta. In human populations, the same will happen in cell cultures. Now, all sorts of things, they say, require further investigation. They listed a few things that require further investigation. Um, no, I don't think so. I think this should be shut down immediately as a potential existential threat to humanity. I don't think you should be investigating this further because you're investigating a virus which doesn't exist in the natural environment. Therefore, I as far as I can see, is no threat. We don't want further investigations in your leaky labs. Thank you very much. This should be stopped. This is a danger. It's possible that this GX has undergone virulence enhancing mutation. So it's probably gone virulence enhancing mutation uh, in the lab. Um, if it's got virulence enhancing mutation, that means the amount of function it's capable of has increased. In fact, we could say we could use a phrase, actually. We could say there's been gain of function, couldn't we? Justin Kinney, Simon Center for Quantitative Biology, Cold Springs Harbor Laboratories, United States, published in the Epoch Times. The research is still very dangerous, though. I'm especially concerned that the uh, that the paper does not say what biological level the work was performed at. So was this done in a very high containment laboratory or was it done in some dodgy level two laboratory coronavirus research in china is often done at a biosafety level two that is inadequate inadequate not adequate for working with potential pandemic pathogens that might be transmitted by air and given that there was high amounts of this virus in the lungs and high amounts in the trachea and high amounts in the nose yeah it would be respiratory transmitted he goes on. Um, indeed, coronavirus research done at BSL2 may have caused the COVID-19 pandemic. Indeed. 
And by showing that the coronavirus has surprisingly high pathogenicity, well, yeah, it kills 100%. That's pretty, that's pretty high. It doesn't get any higher than that, actually. 100% death is the highest pathogenicity, pathogenicity you can get. The work underscores the need for extreme caution, I'll say, when working with novel coronaviruses. In fact, we shouldn't be working with them. Now, these are the authors of the paper. Here, now it's a bit small, so you can't see it. Uh, the new song is the corresponding author. Uh, did not respond to a request for comment on how the scientists, uh, scientists ensured the experiments were performed safely. From the Epoch Times. Now, this other scientist, Yingang Tong, who's also there. <coughs> I don't know if you can see this, but you have to take my word for it. It is there. Check it. Check it. No, don't take my word for it. Check on the original paper. Don't take my word for anything. Yingang Tong. Um, according to the Epoch Times, trained in a Chinese military program and worked in military run labs. Well, that's just amazing, isn't it? Military run labs, right? OK. OK. Maybe where they make bioweapons. I don't know. He also co-authored a paper in 2023 with uh, uh, Lai Shai, who helps run the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Wuhan Institute of Virology. I've heard that name somewhere before. Um, Justin Goodman, Senior Vice President, White Coat Waste Project, USA nonprofit agency, again reported in the Epoch Time, Times. Dangerous and deadly tests on mice. Yep. Um, this is why shipping US tax dollars to foreign adversaries, unaccountable animal lab, uh, is a recipe for disaster. And we're working with lawmakers to stop it. And let's hope that happens soon. I do hope this isn't being funded by uh, finances from uh, by finances from um, finances from overseas. Let's leave it at that. Have we learned nothing? I conclude from this. Yeah, that's exactly what we have learned. Nothing. What can we do about this as individuals? Well. If enough people complain, uh, I guess maybe something will be done. Maybe there'll be a government inquiry or something. You know, it really is incredible that we have people in positions of power that can play fast and loose with your lives, with your parents' lives and your children's lives. But that's the situation we're in. And uh, hopefully now that We've studied this. You and me are in better contact with reality than we were before, which is always good. We want to live in the real world, not in a matrix. All right. So that's John Campbell uh, stepping out of the matrix uh, later than most people, but he got there. And the the idea that uh, a virus can be gain of function and a bioweapon at the same time seems to have uh, got his attention. It's uh, it's important because he's got a lot of reach. He's got 3 million people subscribed on YouTube, which is why I'm, I'm hoping he hasn't taken the video down, but I couldn't find it on YouTube. So this is the, the BitChute version. I uh, posted it in the chat. 
I'm as fatigued as everybody else is with this coronavirus business, but uh, it isn't going to go away anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, I've got another piece. This is about half an hour from the highway. This is a little bit more positive. It's not, not quite as doom-laden. There's no potential zombie apocalypse in this one. So hopefully... This will cheer everybody up a little bit. Dot org and donate now. All right, everyone, we ready? Yeah! Let's do this. Action. Right, this is episode three, four of the highway. And for whatever reason, there was a five-second delay. Dell sitting back. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are out there in the world, it's time to step out onto the high wire. Well, uh, this is our first show back in studio in the new year. I want to thank Barbara Lowe Fisher for that amazing interview that was out last week. So many beautiful comments from all of you. I know I learned something. I mean, it's amazing how many judgments we have until we actually have the facts, which is what we do here. I had an amazing holiday. I hope you did, too. I will say, I know I told all of you as you were going out there, you know, be kind, be nice, try and open up these conversations, but I'll share a little secret with you. I kind of lost my cool a couple times. I mean, I don't know about you, but some of our friends and family out there are like really indoctrinated into the thinking, which is a lot of what this show is going to be about today. You know, what's really going on? Where are we at? How are we all going to come together and get this earth back on track and get our sovereignty and our freedom back in our own hands? Especially when some of those that we love are like fighting us on the topic. Anyway, uh, welcome back. This is the High Wire. We're so excited. Lots of promise in 2024. I think this one's going to be a doozy. All right. So to begin with today, we want to talk about uh, one of the big legal wins that we have. And uh, to do that, let me just sort of set the stage. I know many of you are brand new to this show, uh, tuning in for different reasons. It's the new year. You want to check out maybe a different way of thinking or a way of investigating. But we got involved with if, if when the Pfizer and the COVID vaccines came out, the CDC decided that they need some sort of tracking system since we obviously skipped out of the safety trials. With the emergency authorization, we got out early, so there'd be no long-term review of actually whether that vaccine was safe or not. Or how about, was it even a vaccine? But that's a whole other conversation. So they decided to uh, create a system for your cell phone in which you could sort of check in on it and answer questions. How are you feeling today right after your vaccine? Do you have a fever? Do you have any aching in your joints and things like that? So they could track how everyone was doing. Well, the CDC had promised that they were going to be really transparent since we did not really know the safety protocol of this product that was being given to millions, if not billions of people around the world without any real understanding of safety. They said, we're going to let you know everything we find out. Well, when we use FOIA, which is the Freedom of Information Act request, which is one of the things that we do with our nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network, which is, you know, who 
funds this show, our nonprofit, uh, we used FOIA, which is we asked Pfizer and the CDC, and everybody, can you provide us with that data from the V-Safe data? We'd like to see it. We'd like to see how people are responding to this vaccine. Well, we fought them in court for over a year. In fact, we had to keep bringing different lawsuits just to get to this data that was supposed to be transparent. A lot of work for transparency in this country these days. Anyway, we finally won that case, and they provided all of the filled-in data that had been checkboxed on this app by uh, the, I think it's 10 million users, of, of about 10 million users. Well, this was what that moment looked like on our show when we celebrated that win. Take a look at this. There were 10 million, yeah. 108,273 individual users. These are folks that actually signed up and registered to use VSafe and to provide health check-in. Okay. Here is the adverse health impact. When they were showing it on the screen, right, there was right. check the boxes where you could check one of so the someone checked, boxes. unable to perform normal activities. And then in the middle, like the more moderate, missed work or school, right. did not go in, and then there was required medical care or hospitalization. Of the 10 million people in this system, 782,913 checked this box. They checked the box. I went to a doctor. Uh, I went to the hospital. I was admitted into the ER be after my vaccination. So that number, by the way, is about 7.7%. And most of the reports came in in the first week or so after vaccination that they needed some type of medical care, yeah. being a doctor, emergency room, or hospitalization. Wow. On average, folks who needed medical care that reported it, on average, needed it almost three times to Meaning medical care. They made multiple visits, not just one. Oh, I was overreacting. I'm going home. They came back, they, you know, or went deeper into the medical system. So your audience understands. Yeah. We've only received the data for the check the box fields. There was yes. a fill in the blank box. Right. We have not received that yet. All right. Well, there it was us announcing we got incredible. We built a whole dashboard, which you can still find on our website that takes you through all of that data that uh, we referred to there. And there it is in real time. You can click on all the different things inside of there to ask different questions, you know, ethnicities, um, uh, just different specifics about the people that signed into that registry. Uh, well, I'm joined now by the lawyer that fights these cases for us and made it possible for the world to see this data. No one other than Aaron Siri from Aaron Siri and Glimstead. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. All right. So we were really excited when we got that data. But, you know, from the very beginning, you said, Dell, they're holding something back from us. And it's really important. What was it that they were holding back when we received that data? Because it had a lot of incredible information. Yeah, they were withholding the free text fields. Those are fields in which individuals using the VSAFE system, those 10 million individuals, could write in whatever they wanted. And, and, and the reason that those free text fields and the data in those free text fields are so critical is that the check the box information as 
as as incredible as it is in terms of what you've just showed, right? We're looking at right now. We're looking at that check the box on our screen. This is what your cell phone right. looked like. Look at what they asked you to check. You had pain, redness, swelling, itching, or none. And then, uh, if you want to get deeper into it, chills, headache, joint pains, muscle or body aches, fatigue, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, rash. Um, and that was it. I mean, that was basically it as far as the types of symptoms they were looking at. Right. And, and I, I know you're going to get into it. But meanwhile, from the very moment these trials started, we were hearing things like anaphylaxis, people like almost dying from allergic reactions. We were hearing about myocarditis, swelling of the heart, um, you know, strokes, all, Bell's palsy and for whatever, you know, why, you know, were they aware? I mean, we've talked about this before. They were aware that those were actually the really concerning issues, yet they weren't in this check-the-box fields. No, all of the, the, the issues that we and now know are concerning from the COVID-19 vaccines, they well knew that those were issues of concern before the first vaccine was rolled out in December of 2020. The reason we know that is because we have a copy of the vSafe protocol, that is the 50-page document that the CDC used to design vSafe, as far as we're aware. And on the last page of that protocol, it lists, as you can see on your screen there, the adverse events of special interests, pre-specified medical conditions. And on that list are the very issues that we now know the vaccine can cause, like myocarditis, pericarditis. On the list also is transverse myelitis, stroke, uh, uh, coagula uh, 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 blood clotting anaphylaxis, Guillain-Barre syndrome, yeah. A, a whole host of it. The list is right there on the screen. Look at the date, everyone. So this, that's November 19th of 2020. So that is in 2020. Mm -hmm. They know before, you know, anyone's really, you know, getting this vaccine and signing up, this is what they're saying. Here's the issues we're seeing in trials and that we should probably be looking for with our, you know, tracking system. But did they right, put it in the, the app? No, they did not. Instead, what they put in the app, as you could, as, as everybody just saw, are the symptoms that the CDC will tell you are totally normal to occur, especially in the first week after vaccination. They actually call that uh, uh, um, uh, reactogenicity. They say that those are good to have. That means the vaccine's working. Right. So you got a headache. Those symptoms Excellent. occur. The they say working. great. They say <laughs> right. great. It's great right. you have those symptoms. And in fact. 30, 40, 50, 60 percent of the vSAFE users reported one or more of those symptoms. And the CDC published studies going, oh, wonderful, the vaccine's working. So those symptoms, by their own admission, by the way, and we know this from FOIA's, other FOIAs, uh, for the from the person who essentially ran the vSAFE program at CDC, he said, oh, yeah, the, the, these symptoms are meaningless for assessing safety. And they certainly are. Right. The CDC could have easily as they had in their very protocol in November of 2020. Remember, the first vaccine was only EUA in December of 2020, a right. month later. They could have listed, how about just chest pain? Chest right. pain. That would give you a sense of some type of cardiovascular, you know, of myocarditis or pericarditis. They could have done numbness that, uh, in your extremities that could have indicated Guillain-Barre syndrome. There's, there's a whole host of symptoms. They could have also just literally just listed those conditions, but they chose not to. They chose instead to relegate those to the free text fields, and that's what makes getting that data, those 7.8 million free text entries, so critical so we could see what symptoms were reported, 
So the out of 10, actually, let me yeah. just make this clear, Please. out of 10 million people that signed up to this registry, by the way, clearly all fans of the vaccine, these are not people that were forced in the situation. These are the early goers are like, get me in there and oh, I'd love to chart, m- track my health. So these are people that wanted the vaccine to work for them. Out of 10 million people, you're saying there's over 7 million free text fields, meaning that the headache and the fever and the nausea and the rashes and things that were listed like that, didn't actually cover the specificity of the issues that they were suffering from. Yeah, and you know, I mean, we, we live in an age where people don't like to read and write so much. <laughs> right. So I suspect actually the fact that 7.8 entries were entered is already, you know, incredibly, you know, uh, tr- should be troubling because I don't think people are writing in thank you. They're writing in symptoms. They're writing in issues of concern. And, you know, we even have, um, you know, one uh, uh, Ph.D., who took the vaccine as a way to be a model for her students, use the V-Safe system. We actually have, she shared copies of her entries with us. And, you know, man, they're really troubling. Oh, there it is on your screen. I mean, here's an example. She, you know, here it is. She's reporting to the CDC shortly after getting the vaccine. And she says, look, I've got nausea, vomiting, ER visits, uh, two plus two times urgent care, chest x-rays, EKG, Referral to cardiologist and immunology, continued symptoms, 100 beats per minute, resting heart rate and more chest pain. She says she's had no underlying health conditions, meaning all the only the only issue that could be is the vaccine. She got an MRI and she writes, help me, exclamation point. Here it is. This is a person that went out, got the vaccine purposely to kind of encourage her students to get it. As you pointed out, almost all those 10 million users signed up in the very first few months. They were not mandated. They were, these are the enthusiasts. They were running out to get the shot. Right. So she says to the CDC, help me. Well, those health check-ins continue every day for seven days, then every week for five more weeks, and then at three, six, nine, excuse me, three, six, and 12 months, there's another check-in. Well, here, uh, she also provided her check-in at six months. Well, six months later, did the CDC reach out to help her? No. Here's what she writes. She says she's had 100-plus days of speech physical therapy and vestibular therapy and more to come. Still no help from CISA. That's the FCDC program wow. to help people with injury vaccines wow. after six months of trying. Still no response. And by the way, CISA was run by Dr. Catherine Edwards, who, we, who you talked about in yeah. the past. Still no response from the CDC. No help from public health. No help from FDA. She's, she's saying, look, nobody's helping me. And, and in fact, you know, further up in this same report, she lists a whole host of conditions where she explains that she's on full disability. She, uh, um, she, can't, uh, um, she can't drive, she, can, she can't walk. So she, well, here she has part, uh, platelet activation, vascular inflammation, encephalopathy, yeah. still full disability, full disability, not full medically disability. cleared to drive, negative nucleocapsid test, six months of testing confirming no underlying health condition. I mean, like she, she's saying my life is a disaster here. And what's amazing is this is the CDC system. This is their system. Yeah. And she's not one. There's and, and obviously she's already has several fields. So we're not saying seven million people wrote in, but there's seven million fields. She's making up about right. four or five of those. But she's not alone. And yet we've heard all along the CDC, FDA saying we have had no complaints, really. We see no evidence or red flags that there's any problems with these vaccines at all. I mean, if this woman was all alone, maybe you just ignore her. But seven million of these fields. All right. So let's get to the punchline. 
You know, yeah. this is not the same case now. You had to bring a separate case now because they refused to give ICANN the work that we were doing. These open text fields. So you and your law firm brought that case. Um, and uh, how's that going? Well, I'm, uh, uh, well, I'm very pleased to report that uh, a federal judge in a incredible 29-page decision has now uh, issued an order requiring the CDC to make every single one of those 7.8 million free text entries available to the public over the next 12 months. Every month they have to produce a few hundred thousand of them. There's a schedule wow. on the last page of the order. And um, you know this is uh, a, a huge win for transparency. It'll be uh, an incredible opportunity to actually see what was being told to the CDC by the uh, public and the, those who are probably the last people who want to say things, the bad things about this vaccine. Yeah. These are folks who went out to get the vaccines. I always find it, I always find it comical when people say, well, you know, those people who complain about vaccine injuries, they're, you know, they're just have issues with vaccines. They're always anti-vaxxers. No. Yeah. Right. They're, they're not because you know, you know what the people who have issues with vaccines do? They don't get vaccinated. <laughs> right. So right. These are people at the front of the they line. They don't get the vaccine. Look, I don't I don't want to make light of it because I know we're about to start reading some really horrific stories. And I remember when we were talking about this, the CDC was pushing back. They were trying to say things like, well, you shouldn't have to. You, you can't read all of those fields. We're going to categorize them. We'll just categorize them and give them a code and put the different things. And they didn't want to let us read the writing. So you ended up getting around that. They didn't get to code this and say, well, there was like, you know, about 500 that were about some sort of chest pains. And I know that you want to fight for this. Like, no, I want to read exactly how they describe their chest pains. Did they have EKGs? All the things written in the field. We read English. That's what we do. This is going to be written in English. And by the way, all of the names and one of the questions they had, well, they would say, well, privacy, all of the names have been scrubbed from this data, correct? This is just open fields. We don't know who these people are. There's no way to know who we're talking about. Is that correct? So so the, the, the VSA system is designed to make it effectively um, you know, the, 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 the data that we got in the check the box was de-identified. You can't figure out who the person is. And so only additional data that we want did was the, was the uh, free text fields. Now, it is possible that somebody chose to put in, let's say, their name or their social security number. But as the judge pointed out uh, in, in, in the decision, one, there are programs that can scrub for that type of information very effectively and do a quick initial pass and scan yeah. for social security numbers, for names, for that kind of information. Second, reviewing this type of data to redact for information is something that happens all the time in litigation. At the end of the day, when you take those 7.8 million free text entries, they were limited for the most part to 250 characters. So, you know, we did a lot of math in, our, 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 in the lawsuit in which we explained, okay, let's convert that. How many pages does that equal? Let's assume an average free text entry was 50 characters. Well, then it's, we're talking like a hundred something thousand pages. Right. That, that's it. If, if everybody filled out the full 250 characters, so maybe you had 500,000 to 600,000 pages, that is not too burdensome for a product, remember, that our public health authorities mandated we get. Right. Gave the companies immediate liability, took away our rights, kicked us out of schools, took billions of our dollars to give to the pharmaceutical companies to develop. I mean, it's incredible. If, if, if there's anything that there should be transparency for, it's this product. 
this judge got it exactly right. I mean, Judge Kaczmarek, I mean, I, I, if, if anybody wants to read the decision, I encourage them to do so. I think we have an um, excerpt right compelling. from this case, just a statement by the judge. Notably, plaintiff points to several studies published and presented by CDC that rely upon on the V-safe data. Uh, all but one of these studies considered only the first seven days after receiving a vaccine. And the only study that looked beyond the first week considered just two weeks. Defendants do not contest this at 10. Rather, defendants dismiss the limited scope of the published studies as just the time period that some scientists have chosen to use in their research studies. I mean, this is amazing, right? What the judge is saying, are you telling me that the CDC has all this data and the only thing you've looked at is the first two weeks when the entire question with an emergency use of is what about the long-term side effects? What about two years down the road? What about six months? What about all these issues of blood clotting we're seeing and they only look two weeks? This judgment, I mean, anybody with blood moving their, their brain would be, have to be saying, oh my God, this is insane. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things we pointed out to the judge was, look, Your Honor, we said, listen, here's, here's, here's an example of why it's so important for the free text field to be made public. And what we pointed out to the judge is that the CDC and, and, and other authors using the vSafe data published over 40 studies using the vSafe check the box data. And right. in every one of those studies, except for one where they looked at, they reported the rate of medical care seeking for two weeks after the shot, they reported the rate of medical care seeking for only one week after the shot. And that rate they kept saying was 0.9%, 1%, whatever. As you showed earlier yeah. at the beginning of this segment, when we finally got that data after a year, two lawsuits. So, so people understand other than the checkbox, it asks those questions that we said in the earlier piece, which is, did you miss school? Could you go to work? Did you have to see, seek medical care? That was a checkbox also. And that right. showed us we looked further down the road than anyone the CDC did. And that's where we show, showed that 7.7 of these people said I needed medical care, which is an insane number for a medical product. And, and, I just want to say to people that are maybe watching this show for the first time, and I know it's going to be this, this show is going to blow your mind because you're saying to yourself, the CDC cares about my health. They do thorough studies of vaccinations. All the vaccines ever given to my kids have been thoroughly tested. Well, now you're looking at the most rushed vaccine you've ever witnessed with your own eyes. They're telling you we looked at everything, and I'm telling you this. You now know a judge just saw they only look two weeks down the road. Beyond two weeks, if you open those gates and you put Push your way into the CDC campus, what would you see would be hundreds and hundreds of scientists with their heads stuck in the ground and their asses sticking up with you, not looking at anything. That's how the CDC works. And if you keep watching this show, it's going to scare the hell out of you. Well, I, uh, so that, I know, Aaron, I, I know, I know. You don't, it, you don't have to talk I'll, like I'll, I do. I'm going to say it, I'm I don't say have to this. appear I'll in a courtroom. I'm going to say this. I'll say this. <laughs> if... Uh, all right, so that's the uh, the high wire introduction to Aaron Siri from from Thursday evening, and uh, it's interesting that the keywords that people are using is changing. the The keyword in the presentations to uh, in well Andrew Bridgen's presentations before Christmas, they decided that the keywords there were data transparency and obviously that that continues through this this story as well data transparency is a key theme also the uh 
the bioweapon keyword is cropping up more and more and more on uh, on more mainstream podcasts and shows. So the High Wire had a guest on on this particular episode uh, at the end who who mentioned COVID being a bioweapon. He didn't used to do that. They didn't used to say things like that. John Campbell didn't used to say things like that. But it looks like now the conversation's opening up. This V-safe data, if it get, gets analysed properly, will open up the vaccine injuries conversation again. So we'll have more mainstream coverage of that. So that slowly will, will creep in as well. I'm a bit naive. I was expecting that to happen two years ago, but that's just me. I'm I'm naive and enthusiastic, and uh, that's just the way I am. But uh, two years later, the narrative's changing. The underlying themes and keywords are changing. So eventually we will get there. It just takes a bit longer than I'm expecting it usually. Uh, we're two years behind. We're two years behind my schedule at least. So uh, we'll just finish off with the, the last part of this high wire intro. That, that, that one, when, when they publish those 40 studies, what makes it so incredibly concerning is that those are the same 40 or so studies that the CDC points to to say COVID vaccines are safe. Don't worry, they're safe. But and the, one of the main data points they use, they use VAERS for the most part and V-safe. Well, they, they say VAERS is useless. Right. So then there's V-safe and they only use the first week. And, and, and when we pointed this out to the judge, here's what the judge wrote. OK, and it's, it's really great if I can read it. Yeah. Um, he said, because the CDC came back in their papers and they said, well, some scientists chose to do a week, but, you know, that's what they chose to do. And the judge picked up on that. And, you know, we responded to that. And the judge wrote, quote, if, quote, unquote, some scientists sponsored by, pla- by or platform by defendants, by the way, there were many of them were CDC scientists, OK, <laughs> right. have chosen to use, quoting the CDC's words from their papers, only the first week or two of data to report the vaccine is safe and effective, then other scientists should be permitted to access the data to, quote, pierce the veil of administrative secrecy. Now, he's, he's quoting the language for why the FOIA exists. Open agency action to the light of public scrutiny and promote the disclosure of information. Many of the policies previously addressed were enacted because of guidance from defendants, and the judge there means the policies regarding mandates and immunity liability and so forth. The judge continues, with billions of taxpayer dollars expended to develop, distribute, administer, and fund messaging campaigns, plaintiffs assumes a hefty and viable public interest in examining the raw clinical data. Production of the free text data will permit independent researchers to put the government agencies to their proof by considering all of the available data. So the judge drew the analogy we hope, which is in the same way, with the free, with the check the box, you only want to report one week, and that was misleading. Yeah. What are you trying to hide with the free text data? And 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 um, you know, if 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 I could draw a a comparison, 
to um, what really the, the CDC was arguing here. They said to this judge, it would take about 150,000 working hours to review this 7.8 million free text field. Um, if you divide by 2,000 hours a year of working, so one person, for one person to review this at the CDC, and they say they'll have 13 analysts, so they can devote one maybe, I don't know. That would take 75 years. That's an interesting number. Does that bring us back to what the FDA thing. tried to do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Aaron, amazing. You've won the case. Now, just so people know, we're only, we have not, we're, you know, received, you haven't received any of this data yet, but we will be posting it on our website as it comes in for people to analyze. This is what we do, making it available. Just go to ICanDecide.org forward slash VSAFE, and you can access now. Right now, it has our dashboard, but as this data, all right, so there you go. That's uh, the high wire. It becomes more and more like network every week. Uh, Del Big Tree does his uh, his big production number every week, and it is basically the, like the movie network. But uh, this is this is real life, allegedly. Right, that's the show for the for the day. It was all virus based, but uh, we'll we'll expand it out. We'll get some, some fresh material for Wednesday, I think. Unless something else dramatic happens. the ever-changing dynamics of being both physically and mentally prepared for a plethora of possible outcomes to our future and present. A look into the latest technologies, new scientific discoveries, and how they might be used in connection to the human domain and controlling it, ancient cultures and places. Be warned. This is an opinionated look through headlines. Guests that are not afraid to question the narrative. A little bit of crazy ramblings of a stoner conspiracy factist that pushes constitutional concepts. The place and the time are the same, another dimension we call Mountain High Time. Saturdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Mountain High Time. Right here on Revolution.Radio, where information never sleeps and truth breaks the spell. Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mystery? Real natural law? Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crip Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crip Rick's iPhone, thank you. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> the Secret Kindergarten is here for the young children of the world. 
the best program on the radio for kids. Dealing with the most important topic. 